Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Say It Loud Network and Mean Old Line Media presents the history of being Black. Welcome to another episode of the history of being Black. I am your host, Eunice Elliott. Always excited to be able to lead and engage uh, some of the people I admire most in this country that happen to be Black. And what's so interesting about doing this podcast is that you can pretty much have any Black person on it. They can tell you about their history of being Black. But we are fortunate and blessed to have some of uh, the more esteemed thought leaders in our community. Today, I'm joined by health educator Jerry Haslam, also a good friend of mine. But Jerry, welcome to the show. And first of all, just tell us who you are, what you do, and why you do it. Well, thank you so much for allowing me to be your guest, Eunice. I am Jerry Haslam, and I'm a health educator. But more than that, I'm an advocate of health, especially in our community, because I know the struggle. I've experienced it. I've seen it. And I know that we deserve better. So I'm always talking about it. And when you say the struggle, what specifically are you talking about that affects African-Americans in our communities? We have systemic systems that have worked against us in so many areas. So when it comes to our health, there are a lot of times that, in my opinion, our health is looked upon as that they can do better. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you eating healthier? But when you have food deserts, when you have systems where there's a lack of access, when you've had it for all practical purposes, things that are put in black neighborhoods to 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 give us that health. And then you turn around and you ask us, why aren't we better at our health? It's almost like you created this storm, but yet we we will navigate through it. I want to talk to you more about that. I know that you talk about the systems that are put in place to keep us unhealthy, but you also stress the importance of us taking responsibility for our health. For anybody that's listening that might not be aware of, sometimes people hear terms and they really don't investigate them because they don't feel like it affects them. When you talk about food deserts, Tell me what that means and give me some examples of how that just shows up in a lot of communities that we just might be driving through and don't even think about it. I don't think we think about it because it's been that way for so long. And when I say systems, systems work together to put that in place. So the question is, well, why why don't we have a grocery store? But when you look at, let's say, a system that you don't think about impacting food, such as redlining, well, redlining says, you know what? For this area, for this zip code, we're not going to give you X, Y, and Z for monies. So therefore, we're going to create this hood. So the grocery store is thinking, well, why should I come there? I'm looking at the crime. I'm looking at the income when I can build a grocery store over here. So that is a system that has nothing to do with food, but yet it's impacting having a grocery store available in that area. So when these systems line up, they just kind of churn each other. So when I say there's a food desert, you don't have local produce. You may have what you consider a store, but it may be a corner store that sells unhealthy things. And you're, that's all you see. So guess what? That's all you eat. That's all you buy. So these systems are so vast. It's almost like breathing. You don't think about it. You know that you've got air. You're not looking for it. You can't see it. It just happens. That's a form of systemic racism that people don't talk about a lot. You mentioned a corner store. You will always find that 
red pop on sale, but not the bottle of water. Talk to me about things like that that we don't even notice that that's at the front door, full of sugar, full, you know, and it's actually more expensive to drink water. And the problem of it is we're fed that because it's cheap. If I can buy a Fago soda that's full of dye and full of sugar for 79 or 99 cents, the reality of it is the food is a drug because that's the only drug that you must have. So the, let's talk about the other white powder. Well, that's the sugar. So actually, I'm becoming addicted to that sugar, just like I would nicotine or cocaine or alcohol. So my body is literally saying you need more of that. It's a very vicious cycle because if I'm going to the store and I'm only buying this junk food at a cheap price, the person who's selling me this, you got to imagine they're making a huge profit because if it's costing me pennies, they're getting it for nothing. So why would they sell me something else when they're making such a profit off of this? Exactly. And and we become numb to it. We say, hey, this is cheaper. Hey, it tastes good. I'm somebody who, as you say, the white powder, I am a self-admitted addict to sugar. And it is one of those things. It's easy and cheap to get. You don't think of the repercussions it's causing you to have. When we talk about specifically our sugar content as a community, I know you speak when you're giving your speeches and talks, you talk about generational health curses that we pass along that don't have to be passed along. We think because mama and big mama had the sugar, we're bound to have it. But what do you say when people think that whatever health concerns they have is not so much that it's what they're putting in their body, it's what they inherited from a family member? I think that it is, unfortunately, an, even another element, and that other element is your physician. I'll give you an example. When I was younger, I, I don't, I can't remember. That was another husband ago. But any, at any rate, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> I, I had an appointment at, at my doctor's office. And when I went, my doctor wasn't there, but there was another doctor in the group that was going to see me that day. I thought nothing of it. That was fine. This doctor... I guess looked at my chart, but really did look at my chart. And he said to me, well, how is your, your, uh, your blood pressure medication? And I looked at him and I said, my blood pressure medication, what are you talking about? And he said, well, it says BP. I say that stands for birth control pill. I'm not really sure. He just assumed that I was on blood pressure medication. So here you have another system who is giving me, I guess, my health report. And if I didn't have the, I guess, the, the confidence to speak up against this or to have a dialogue, again, this is another system that's playing a part of my health. And those are things that we don't talk about. And those are things that are biased. And again, they impact that system that's churning. So you think about the position, then you think about the environment that I'm in, then you think about, well, my access to exercise. So it is something that you've got to show people and they, they need that representation. They need to be able to see a woman or a man that looks like them that's out walking or running and understanding that that is not foreign. And that's what's so interesting is when you say you have the confidence to say something. So many times people are intimidated by their healthcare professionals or by their doctors because we tend to put them on this pedestal of they, they have all this book learning and they've gone to school for all these years. And so what do I know? And then I think that's especially prevalent with our older citizens, our seniors, and they might have aches and pains that they don't feel comfortable talking about 
about, but also talk to me more about the the disparity in healthcare. One, the access to it, but two, how Black folks are treated when they actually do go to the doctor uh, for an issue. The that starts really in medical school, and I've recently read where even today, I want to say that the last study was in 2016, where you've got these medical students who actually believe that. Black people can tolerate pain more. So imagine you being taught that and then your bedside manners with that black patient, you've automatically turned on a deaf ear. So that is something that has to be addressed. That is the elephant in the room. That is that privilege. And when you when you see that and when you hear it, this is one reason why I've had friends to say to me, oh, I'm looking for a black doctor. I need someone to hear me. Because, again, we've got to have that conversation with our doctor. We've got to be able to have the conversation with our doctor and allow the doctor to hear us. But if the doctor already had this preconceived notion, and we've seen that with COVID, how we had a doctor to die to make a video to tell us about doctors who weren't listed. So this is not our imagination. These are systems who unfortunately have been built for a very long time and they are in full motion. So in order for us to address our health as black people, brown people, any people, we must understand that. You you just can't say, well, why am I not exercising? What what are the things that are stopping me other than me? Okay. So if you can understand that, then you can say, okay, I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to run. I'm going to do these things. I've got to make myself active because when I go to the doctor, I feel like I'm being punished and badgered when the doctor says you need to exercise more. But what does that mean? Right. What does exercise mean? I mean, what you tell me what exercise is and what I think it is, and you're just saying that to me, Dr. John, Dr. Smith, but what is that for me? That's so discouraging when when you talk about how current medical students, like not in the 1800s, not in the early 1900s, but 21st century medical students still have this um, misconception that black folks don't feel pain. And that's a story that has haunted our our history where medical experiments were performed on slaves without anesthesia. And that's how early medical doctors rose in that community uh, because they had all these people to do experiments on. Um, and then they would go to the North and do the same experiments, but with anesthesia for the white patients. And so because of the history, whether it's that, it was whether it's being experimented on, a lot of times people will bring up Tuskegee, especially now. A lot of people think that the Tuskegee experiment was that these um, subjects were given syphilis, which is not what happened. They had syphilis and were diagnosed, but were never told that they had syphilis and were not given a treatment that had already been established years before their diagnosis. With all of that being said, you mentioned with COVID. What is it that we need to be especially sensitive to? Because we already have that gap of healthcare and health disparities in our communities. And then you bring in a pandemic and it disproportionately affects our community in ways because of our pre-existing conditions, which goes back to the first part of the conversation. What, what, how are you handling people now and trying to educate our communities on how we can stay safe and stay alive, especially now? I personally have been doing webinars and I have personally been a cheerleader for educating my community about safety, protecting yourself. This is even before the, the vaccine rolled out. And when I say that, making sure that you're keeping your distance, I don't care that you're used to having a family gathering. We've got to put on our mask. We've got to wash our hands. We already had a problem in Alabama 
because we were not washing our hands, people, let me say that in case you wow. don't hear it in the back. Uh, he had that problem. So uh, oh, let me just uh, let's just put that out there. So understanding that this hygiene is important, washing your hands, wearing a mask, staying six feet apart and using that information to make sure that, you know, even when we get more people vaccinated, we still must have these precautions. We still know that when we have family gatherings, we need to be outside. So I think that it is a personal responsibility when people see me on social media or if I'm out somewhere because I have been out, but making sure, oh, she's got her mask on or I'm seeing her do that. Because when you see a picture and you're thinking, are they being safe? Because people do what you do, your children, your parents, your family, they will do what you do. Maybe not even what you say, but they will definitely do what you do. So if you're imitating and doing the things, they too will, will do that or you hope that they will. So I think it's a matter of being a good steward yourself and no one can, you know, say, well, gosh, you did everything right, but you still got COVID, but you've got to do those things. And even if, you know, you get vaccine one, vaccine two, you just can't take up your mask and think that this is over. And that's what's happening now. Obviously, we I think on the front end of the pandemic, you know, you had misinformation, no information, fear. Um, now that we're I don't even know to say we're on the back end, but now that we're a year into the pandemic, now people I think are suffering from COVID fatigue where they're getting lax. They're not wearing the mask. They're decided, you know what, I'm not going to live afraid. I'm just going to go out here and do whatever I want to do. And at the same time, not only are we seeing people in our communities and other communities that are passing away uh, at alarming rates, but and some of them didn't have pre-existing conditions. So outside of it sounds so basic to say wear a mask, stay six feet apart, wash your hands. It sounds so basic, but help break it down for me. You know what what it actually means if you don't do that. Like if you what don't does it mean do, for you specifically, if you don't do that, then you're setting yourself up for that. And I say this, you know, I'm just going to be candid. Would you go somewhere and someone puts their hand in the food? Would you go and eat some of them? I'm just asking. That's what you're doing when you're not wearing your mask. You're drinking behind someone who does that. So you've got to, you know, let people know, oh, that sounds awful. I don't think I would just pick up a random cup and start drinking behind someone. So wear your mask. What is wrong with that? Wear your mask. And I take you back to Jim Crow, it used to say whites only, blacks only for the water fountain. So if if you're like so outraged because someone's telling you wear a mask, imagine if you lived back then. Right, right. Yeah, Don't you see an outrage of some privileged uh, citizens who feel like that's violating their civil rights. Uh, exactly. <laughs> human rights. And, and, and again, wash your hands. My question is, why, why weren't you washing your hands before this pandemic? Right. You know? Those are the questions you almost don't want to ask, right? Because you start thinking back (laughs) to all the times that you probably assumed that as adults, you've had an understanding of basic hygiene. When you talk about uh, someone putting their hands in the food or drinking after a stranger's cup, this is the thought that I had that was very sobering for me. You know how if someone's outside a building smoking, or we all know about the hazards of secondhand smoke. What I realize is when you walk past and you smell that someone's smoking, you are at that point breathing in air that has already been in their lungs that they have now breathed back out. And that thought just kind of messes up my head <laughs> that secondhand smoke 
literally was just in their lungs and I just smelled it. I inhaled it. And so when I think of things like that and I think of this highly contagious virus, you know, it doesn't take a lot for me to sit in the house. It doesn't take a lot for me to wear a mask if I got to go somewhere. Um, and so that's what's amazing is how people still aren't getting it. And they're just tired of talking about it now that we do approach, you know, being about a year into this pandemic. Let's let's pretend the pandemic is over. Let's just pretend. And when you talk okay. about food deserts, what can people do to address their health concerns right now today? Let's say they have a history of health problems or maybe their family has a history of health problems and they don't have a gym membership. They don't have access to the best foods. What could someone listening today do today just to start taking more control of their health? and being their own health advocate. They have to own it. You have to own it. It's just like being an alcoholic. Oh my God, I wish my brother, my sister, my uncle would stop drinking. Until they own it, they can never address their health. That's to improve their health. That's to do anything in regards to your health. So the first thing someone must do is understand it is my own responsibility. And I say this to people, people like whatever, we all know someone who has been incarcerated and you see that person like, where the hell have they been? They look amazing. They look great. That person had two things, time and commitment. So if you're saying, Jerry, what can I do to improve my health? I'm ready. I, I want to own my health. Then I say to you, you've got to carve out that time because in jail, they don't have any equipment. If you've got six feet of space, you can lie on the floor. You can do exercises. You can go to YouTube. You can go to just about any website and see something for free. So you don't need that gym membership. You can do it yourself. So the first thing you've got to do is own health, your responsibility, your health initiative. And then you've got to carve out time for that. Because a lot of times I think people will say, oh, I'm too busy. You're busy, but are you really productive? And I tell people this, they get mad at me. I love it when I say, honey, you don't have time, but suppose you had dialysis because that's three days a week. So you've got to take on your own ownership of it. And, and and that's not even being dramatic. I know most of us are are grossly dehydrated. If I just won't drink enough water. I'm, a, I'm also, I will admit to that as well. But like you said, if you feel thirsty, they say if you feel thirsty, you already passed dehydration. But <laughs> if the time and energy it takes me to sit down and watch TV and drink a glass or bottle of water versus having to go to dialysis three days a week, when you put it in those stark terms, you know, maybe that's, Maybe that's something that we need more of in your face consequences for not owning what's going on with our own bodies. Uh, I don't know. Is that fear tactics? Fear tactics? Well, well, not. it's just to me, it's a reality and reality check. Me, the trick for me, I have all kinds of water bottles, but I set a timer for myself. And I know between these three hours, this bottle is supposed to be empty. Because if I'm going to get in these two huge bottles and this one bottle, I said it where I can do that. And I'm I'm finished with my drinking by seven o'clock every night. I'm like, I've got to be finished with it because I don't want to be up. OK, so for me, that's my trick for someone else. It may be a huge bottle where they're looking at it. I've seen the, the water bottles where they have like time. You should be by this time of day. You should be. So mm-hmm. so whatever trick works for you, some people are like, oh, I like the small bottles. So it's very individual, but I will say when you drink that water, it makes a difference. And I'm going to give you a nugget, and this is going to be informative as well as gross. Okay, Okay. so you can get ready for it. I'm here for it. You get ready for it. Unless you're going to have surgery, and I mean liposuction, I mean somebody saying we want to cut this, let me cut this off right here. Let's take that away. That's the option we're going to take away is the liposuction. The only way you can excrete fat out of your body 
is through three ways, sweat, urine, and feces. So let me say this, that water is the magic pill because if you say, gosh, I've been eating right, I'm doing everything, but you don't sweat and you don't drink enough water and the water is this catalyst that's helping that. So again, the only three ways you can excrete fat from your body other than surgery is sweat, urine, and feces. So if you're drinking a half a bottle of water a day, your your body is going to hold on to that. It's not going to, it's just holding on to it. So if you want to know, well, what's the magic pill? It's the water. Well, I don't think we mean that when we say it. We always say, if I could just take a pill and lose weight, I'd do it. I'd be the person that would buy the pills and not even take them every day. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean that, Jerry. I don't mean that. So tell me, I actually met a neighbor today and she is a mature woman who's taking care of her elderly sick parents. And when she was communicating her mom has diabetes she was saying that she now the daughter knows more about diabetes in the time that she's been caring for her mother than her mother ever cared to know about managing her diabetes and now the daughter has somewhat uh, it seems like resentment that now she's having to care for this mother who has progressed in this illness talk to me about when you say take ownership what about when people feel like well i'm already sick it's too late what do you say to those people I would say, to be honest with you, maybe that person needs counseling. And that sounds like, well, what? They're a diabetic. But that's just like being an alcoholic. They're not facing the terms of their illness. They may think, well, this is nothing. I know someone else who got a toe cut off or a foot or an ankle. And then the family members are growing more and more resentful because they know a lot of these things can be prevented. So again, it's you know, I go back to the alcoholic, the alcoholic got a DUI. So now the family is trying to manage that. And maybe the family needs counseling, which again, has nothing to do with the diabetes, but maybe the person, the mother, the whoever this is, is using this, this disease of diabetes as a way of coping with something else. Or maybe, I hate to say this, this may be the way that that person gets attention. I don't know. But I do know that that is playing a part on another family member. And that other family member is like, if she would just do X, Y, Z, and then the mother's like, I'm never going to do it. So it's this vicious cycle. And again, maybe counseling could help this person even with this you know, with this disease. Right. And, and it and, builds you know, a codependent relationship a lot of time in our families where we mm -hmm. know somebody isn't healthy, but we're still going to go get them that Popeye's six piece mm -hmm. uh, because we know that makes them happy. And so a lot of it is when we talk about health advocacy, there's, the word is being your own health advocate, first of all. Um, not just taking care of your body and consuming things that will help your body, but educating yourself even before you go to your healthcare professional. So you can catch those things in those moments where when you talk about, you know, the high uh, fatality rate with women in childbirth, black women in childbirth and and just how we don't tend to get the attention that we need. How how can we do that without going to WebMD and diagnosing ourselves with <laughs> every illness? How can we educate ourselves without becoming doctors? You know what I would say is getting to know a little bit more about your body. I, I did a course on this for these people and I had a, a student. She had been taking the same metformin medicine for like five years. So I said to her, have you had this conversation with your doctor? She was like, no. I was like, well, this is what I need you to do. I need you to arm yourself so you can write down if you know you have this doctor's appointment on March 1st. So let's start February 1st so you can have the documentation. So when you go in there, 
you're going to be even more armed to tell the doctor, well, you know what? I want to talk about this medicine. I've been on it for a year or two years, but I've lost weight or I've gained weight or something. So you have your own little, your own little, I guess, reasons as to why this medicine should change other than it makes me A, B, and C because the doctor, he or she is listening to what you're saying, but here you've got the facts. And it's like, you go to the doctor and people will say this, the white coat, where when a doctor comes in, they may take your blood pressure and it's elevated because it's the white coat syndrome. But actually, you don't have high blood pressure or maybe you just got you having road rage with someone. So you're, now your, your blood pressure is up. So if your blood pressure is up and the person takes your blood pressure, oh, we've got to put her on blood pressure medicine because her blood pressure is up. Actually, it's not. But if you were to arm yourself, let's say I am on blood pressure medication and I'm like, gosh, I've been exercising and doing some things. Why don't you buy one of those blood pressure cuffs and take your own blood pressure at the same, you know, hour time frame every day, two weeks leading up to that. So when you go in, you can say, no, because my blood pressure has been running this and you got that. That's going to tell the healthcare provider, wow, this person is, you know, they're charting this. So my blood pressure may be elevated right now that you just took it, but it's been averaging this for the last two weeks. So you can have that conversation so we can talk about these medicines because the question is, why are you on the same medicine? You have changed. Why is this medicine not changing, be it the dosage or whatever that is, because we all change. Uh, that, that was something else the neighbor was talking to me about, about her uncle who has diabetes, who's still taking the same amount he was taking when he was more active and it's affecting him negatively. And so many times we get these prescriptions. And like you said, our lifestyle change, our, our, our whole existing changes, and we're still taking doses and we're over medicating, under medicating. And these are conversations that we need to have about sliding scale and, and, and different adjustments we need to make. So anybody who's listening to this particular episode, if you are on medication, you know, a lot of times you can research things you can do to help lessen the need for it and not just accept, okay, now I'm on blood pressure medication. Most people will advise you to take steps to not need those medications, but also make sure you're educating yourself about the dosage. Uh, you're communicating lifestyle shifts and changes with your medical professionals so they can possibly adjust this prescription. There's so many things that we don't think about because we just go to the doctor when we don't feel well, when every day, every minute of every day, we can be taking our own you know, um, status and saying, okay, why do I feel this way? I notice around this time I feel this way. Something as simple as noticing certain changes you have when you eat certain foods. I know there are certain foods I'll eat and I'll say, well, I know this is going to happen after I eat this, but it tastes so good. I'm going to go ahead and struggle through. <laughs> My mom finally has realized I can't, she can't have MSG because it gives her a migraine, but start paying attention to your body and, and how you respond to stimuli. Um, I think that's something that you do as you get older. You don't make those correlations when you're younger, <laughs> but as you start getting older, you start figuring it out. I would agree. So, uh, Ms. Jerry, I want to have you come back and talk to us uh, for another uh, conversation because you don't just talk about being a health advocate. You are very active in the community, getting people moving. And so if you would come back and talk to us about that, I would I would really appreciate it. I, I so appreciate you talking to us about this. And hopefully everyone, myself included, listening, thinks about that white powder and thinks about the addictions we have and think about how we don't want to be on dialysis three days a week. And we can go ahead and drink this water that's sitting here and that is actually coming out of a sink even if we don't go get a manufactured bottle that's going to ruin the earth as well. But that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> Jerry Haslam, how can we find more about you? Well, I would love for you to just follow me on Instagram, Twitter. It's my name, so it's not hard. It's just Jerry Haslam at Instagram, as well as on Twitter. 
And on Facebook, I am Jerry Haslam Health Educator. So I would love for you to follow me and just keep up with what I do. I, I sometimes say crazy things, but it's true. But it's effective. You know, sometimes <laughs> we hear crazy things that make us realize our own crazy. So every, every time I do get a chance to chat with you, I always end the conversation by saying, okay, Jerry, I'm going to do better. <laughs> and that's what we need. We need people that look like us, that are for us, that support us to just tell us, look, this is in our hands. We can take control of it. So I know I will at least do better after this conversation now. Put me on the clock for that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we also have a segment here where we talk about be the change. We want people to have action items that they, when they listen to an episode of the history of being black, they feel like they are empowered to go and do something. So what's something that would be hashtag be the change from this conversation that we can take an action item and go do to help our communities in health? I want you to go in your community and do that. When I say and do that, so often we don't do that our community, they don't see us doing it. When I say that, if you're going to walk, why aren't you walking in your neighborhood? Why are you driving 10 miles to the gym when you can walk outside of your door and walk around the block? So I need you to be the change in the community because believe it, that representation matters. And there is someone that's seeing you and they're like, gosh, I saw her. I saw him. Let me do it. So I want you to be in the community. I love that. That's so basic and simple. It makes perfect sense. Folks will drive 10 miles to go walk in a park or on a trail. Just walk in your neighborhood. You're going to be uh, in, uh, affecting people that look out the window and see you and say, you know what? Why don't I walk? I love it. Thank you so much, Jerry Haslam. Thank you so much for listening to the history of being black. And we will talk to you folks next episode. Take care. The History of Being Black podcast is hosted and produced by Eunice Elliott. Associate producer, Lauren Turner. Edited by Ken Johnson. Executive producers, Omar Thompson, Andrew Kalb, and Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcast. The History of Being Black podcast is a mean old lion and Say It Loud Network production. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. 